This week, a Utah jury returned a verdict in favor of actress Gwen Paltrow and against a 76-year-old optometrist who sued her for injuries that he claimed uh, he sustained due to her slamming into his body on the ski slopes. Uh, Gwen Paltrow sued back for a dollar, saying that, no, he slammed into her, she didn't slam into him, and the, uh, jury, uh, the jury found in favor of Gwen Paltrow. With us to discuss this case uh, and some other issues that are going on uh, in the news is uh, superstar attorney Elizabeth Caveney, managing partner of the law firm of Caveney and Kroll, which is one of the premier personal injury and catastrophic injury firms in the nation. It's amazing the results this firm has gotten. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds of, of millions of dollars in settlement and verdicts for victims of medical negligence, police misconduct, and general personal injury. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. It's so good to see you, and thank you for coming into studio. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here. It's always nice to see people in person these days. You know, we so so much of it is just, um, yeah, not on. You can turn that headphone up just a little bit. You can probably hear me better. Um, anyway, so what is the law on the slopes? Are, are there rules about who's responsible when there are personal injuries on the slopes? Yeah, there are. Um, believe it or not, there are rules about everything. <laughs> and so <laughs> rules on the slopes are that um, whoever is lower on the slope has the right of way. So if you are the higher skier on the slope or on the hill, then it's your duty and your obligation to watch for skiers below you and to avoid them on your way down. It's like the rules of the road. Yeah. Kind of. You exactly. Know. Exactly. You watch the cars ahead of you. It's the same thing. You watch the skiers ahead of you and it's your job to avoid them. So, and I guess we don't we don't really apply those rules very often in Illinois, given the flatness of our state. But, <laughs> but, uh, but in Utah, I, I imagine this 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 is not an uncommon occurrence, and much like you know, probably Colorado and other states, right? Right. It might not be very uncommon, but um, involving a celebrity like Gwyneth Paltrow yes. is, uh, makes it uncommon. That's exactly right. And, and let's talk about celebrity a little bit. You know, and, and you've watched a lot of trials, you know, that with celebrities, and, and maybe maybe you've represented celebrities in in personal injury cases. But how do you think her celebrity played out? Knowing juries the way you do, how how do you think her presence affects how a jury uh, juror might view the evidence? I think, first of all, it makes for great television. I mean, thousands <laughs> of people watched it, and many people say the worst thing about the trial is that it's over. Um, <laughs> but for the jurors that are actually sitting in it, I think once they get over the shock value... Um, then they treat it very much like any other case. They really do put the celebrity hood aside. And if a lot of people may have heard the interview of the juror that was done with Good Morning America, and she said just that, that she really wanted to put aside the fact that Gwyneth Paltrow was a celebrity and make sure that she wasn't being played by the actress but was really focusing on the facts of the case and I think that that's true in cases where there's celebrity you've got to get over that fact and initially through seeing them day in and day out they just become a regular person yeah and I guess also I would think that people like Gwen Paltrow and a person like Johnny Depp you know these are person who are trained in speaking and they are not afraid to speak and and as you know when you put someone on the witness stand I don't care if they're doctors or whoever they are um, it's it people get very nervous to go to court I mean we do this for a living and we actually strangely enjoy enjoy (laughs) talking to a jury I mean strangely I enjoy talking on the radio and black 
lot of people are nervous doing that. But but that, but at least there's that part of it, that, that an actress is not going to be intimidated by speaking in a courtroom, I suppose. Well, I don't know. I mean, you could tell from watching Gwyneth that she had had a lot of coaching, um, a lot of time spent talking about how she should dress, how she should handle herself, what kind of demeanor she should portray. Um, and even her account of what happened was very steady, very calm, very somber. And um, I, I think that that just doesn't come naturally to anybody, even a celebrity, even an actor, that that's something that needs to be practiced. It's different when you're testifying in a courtroom. And I imagine, too, that as a celebrity, you not only want to win the case for whatever reason, whether it's money or you don't want to pay money or you want to set a precedent. I think Paltrow was very vocal to say, listen, I could have just paid money, but I, I, I in my good conscience, couldn't do that because I wasn't the one at fault. And, you know, at the end, I don't know if you saw this, but she went over to the plaintiff and wished him well and, and touched him on the shoulder, which the plaintiff received in a very, very nice way, um, because she's got to walk away from this and still have her business career and very successful business career and and her actress career. And so I think her demeanor was pretty, pretty, you know, laudable. Yeah, I agree. I think she did a very nice job. And I thought one of the other interesting parts is the way that the defense, uh, the plaintiff's attorney treated her when they were cross-examining her. They called her in their case in chief. And um, the attorney, um, Kristen Van Orman, uh, almost catered to her. You know, it was very friendly with her and complimenting her on her height and talking about her own personal high heels and saying, oh, I would have been shocked also. And it was just very, mm. it almost seemed like she was a little starstruck. It was, it that was is unusual. Odd. It was odd. Because usually cross-examination is, you're not, that's not your friend there up on the no, stand. Exactly. Exactly. It was, um, it was, it was odd. But I thought, again, Gwyneth walked a very fine line in handling that um, attorney's overtures towards her and kept herself in her in her role. Yes, right, right. Now, you've tried many jury trials and have been awarded millions and millions of dollars in verdicts and settlements. What, what are the facts that are important? The jury has to hear two parts to a personal injury case uh, or medical malpractice case. You have to have, there's got to be liability, fault, right? And they're also, you also have to put on evidence of damages. So what, what facts are really, really important? If you can kind of highlight to me what, what you really focus on when you make those arguments and you put on the, the witnesses in those jury trials. Yeah, I think one of, um, I think when it comes to the liability aspect of a trial, what is most important is credibility. Credibility, credibility, credibility. The credibility of the attorneys and how they come off to the jury and whether their opening statement and their selection of them as jurors, whether they seem like a credible person, um, but also the witnesses that you're putting on, the doctors that you're having testify, the plaintiff, your client, when they testify, are they believable? Are they credible? Is it someone that you would believe a story if they sat you down at Starbucks and told it to you? So I, I think that's the most important thing on liability and something that we spend a lot of a lot of time and a lot of work with our liability witnesses, making sure that they are going to be credible by the time they hit the witness stand. Um, damages, um, 
you know, one mistake that a lot of lawyers make is that they spend so much time worrying about how to win the case that they don't think enough about the damages of the case. And it's almost an afterthought. But it's, as you said, equally as important as proving liability. Can you tell our listeners what damages means? Because I I think we know, I think most people know, but just what what are the components of damages and what, what are we talking about? Sure. So in a personal injury case in Illinois, um, you get damages for pain and suffering, disability or loss of a normal life, disfigurement, your medical bills, your lost wages. So you get components that are called economic damages, and that would be your medical bills and your lost wages and numbers that are relatively easy to figure out. And then you get non-economic damages, which are the pain and suffering, the loss of a normal life or the disfigurement, the disability, um, those types of things. Those are called non-economic damages. But those are the types of elements that a jury will have to decide at the end of a trial as to what dollar amounts to award to the plaintiff if the plaintiff prevails on liability. When we come back, I want to ask you, you've had some some very large settlements and verdicts, and I want to talk about how, um, you know, how you arrive at those large numbers, because a lot of people will see a verdict in the newspaper, $32 million, like how, what kind of crazy jury would award that much? And juries aren't that crazy, are they? No, not at all. No. no. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how jurors are not that crazy. We're here with Elizabeth Caveney, who's a personal injury lawyer here in Chicago, and you're listening to WGN. We're talking to Elizabeth Caveney. She is a personal injury lawyer here in Chicago. She's a fabulous lawyer. Uh, look at her website. She, she handles some of these huge cases. And Elizabeth, I was looking at your website, and there was a horrible case that, that you talked about a little bit somewhere. I don't know if it was on your website or something in the news, but um, it was a, a poor girl who had gotten an infection of some type, and she had lost all four of her limbs. Mm, yeah. And... Well, just briefly, what was the nature of the malpractice in that case? So it was an eight-year-old uh, little girl, and um, she had developed a septic knee or an infected knee, and it was a failure to diagnose it and administer antibiotics, and she became septic, which is where the infection gets into your bloodstream and affects your entire body. So it's uh, very serious. It's very... Um, known in the emergency department they have very strict sepsis protocols that must be followed which include antibiotics within the first half an hour i mean that's how serious of an injury and of an illness it is um otherwise things like what happened to her can occur you can lose limbs if not die so when you put together a a damage package like this, whether you're going to settle the case and you're going to send this to the insurance carrier to try to work out a settlement or whether you take it to trial before 12 jurors, what like what kind of components are there in, in these kind of damages to get up to $30 million or so? Yeah. Um, you know, I think we start with the doctors um, and find out, you know, what does this person really need for the rest of their life? What are we talking about? What are their injuries and understanding them? And what will they need as far as care, equipment? And then we go to individuals who are called life care plan experts and put together plans that will put a money, a dollar amount to those elements that the doctors say. And um, my big goal in that little girl's case was to make sure that she had the prosthetics that she would need for the rest of her life to be able to 
run, swim, ride a bike, walk. They're all different kinds of prosthetics, and they're very expensive. And obviously, as she grows and goes through the course of her life, she'll need different ones and different sizes. And so that's where I started with that, is really trying to make the jury understand that this is going to be a very expensive venture to provide her with as normal a life as we can for the rest of her life, because she had a completely normal life expectancy. And and so, and I can imagine that, you know, you just have to think ahead to high school. You have to think ahead to college and then past college. And who's going to take care of her if she needs care? And it just, that's, that's why you, that's how you get to those, those huge dollars. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think it's, um, it does seem crazy um, when you hear the numbers, but when you're in that room and you're one of the jurors and you're trying to make the right decisions, um, I think jurors get it right. They really do. They take it very seriously. Jurors do a magnificent job of um, nobody wants to be on jury duty. But once you get on jury duty, they do a magnificent job of really getting into the facts of the case, the medical, the evidence, and doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing. I agree with you. And um, I think when you hear what you might think are crazy verdicts or verdicts that go against your logic, um, I think those are the anomalies, even if, if, let's just say they are crazy for some reason. Because I think 12 people who don't know each other, who have common sense and go in there with good intention um, and with good lawyers and a good judge, they're going to reach a conclusion that's usually pretty accurate and pretty right. I agree. Yeah. Now, um, you are... um, Illinois ambassador to the patient safety movement, which is an organization of medical professionals and other med- and other professionals who have the mission of focusing on eliminating harm and death in the healthcare across the world. That's an interesting group because here you are. This is what you do for a living, suing them, but you're also on this or in this organization to prevent these things from happening. So tell me, um, t- you know, tell me a little bit about. You know, a lot of my listeners are are older and they're going through medical issues and hospitals and doctors, and that's part of their life. What are some of the pieces of advice you can give to everyone out there to prevent being, uh, you know, being the, the victim of medical malpractice? I think one of the main things that we stress through the patient safety, um, movement is medical advocacy. And what does that mean? It means having someone with you that um, can advocate for you, that can make sure you're providing the right information, the full information, and that you're taking in what's being told to you. You know, lots of times if you're at the doctor's office or at the emergency room, you're in pain, you're uncomfortable, you're not at the top of your game. One of your children should be there with you. One of your neighbors, someone. I, I mean, I had a friend that went was a medical malpractice attorney as well, went through a battle with breast cancer, and I was her advocate and went to all her appointments. And it shocked me, knowing as much as she did about medical malpractice, when she was the patient, how none of it made sense to her anymore, how much she oh, needed an advocate there, somebody else that could be a third party that could listen to it. So that, I think, is the biggest tip that I would give people is take someone with you to your doctor's appointments, take someone with you to the emergency room, have them take notes that they can look back on and explain to you after you get through the initial event. And I suppose, too, one of the other things is, you know, asking questions you know, if 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 any doctor or nurse or someone does not 
like you asking questions, that's probably not a good professional to have, you know, treating you because, as you know, you have clients who question you and they question, why are we doing this or should we be doing this or, you know, and, and as a professional, you expect those questions and you answer them. Right. Um, I'm not saying you should question a doctor in a, in a way that's mean-spirited or confrontational necessarily, but asking questions is not a bad thing to do. Asking questions is a good thing to do, and I think we're moving away from a generation that just accepted the doctor's words and was afraid to ask questions. But it's still, I think people give a lot of deference to doctors and to what they say, and they can go against their gut feeling. And I would really encourage people to stay with your gut. If you think that something is really wrong and the doctor's telling you, no, it's just a pulled muscle in your chest. That's all the chest pain is. But if you really think that it's not a pulled muscle, something else is going on, advocate for yourself. Talk to the doctor. Push for an x-ray. And uh, don't be afraid to... Be the squeaky wheel. I mean, as the saying goes, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Be the one that gets the oil. Be the one that gets the attention. So you you told me this morning that ER um, uh, ERs are overcrowded and there's rising malpractice. Is that is that due to COVID or are other reasons as well? Completely other reasons. I think we're past um, the COVID overcrowding and the issue that was raised and really lasted for a couple of years. But f- over the last you know, 20 years, we've seen emergency rooms increasing, um, emergency room visits at a, at a steady rate, um, faster than the U.S. population is increasing. A lot of that is to aging demographics. Mm, okay. But um, emergency room visits from 1997 to 2006 in that 10-year period went up by 26%. Wow. And from 2006 to 2015, the next 10 years, it went up by 17%. So more and more people are using the emergency room as the go-to place. And uh, as prime, where they're getting their primary care from. Again, that has to do with aging demographics, but it also has to do with insurance. And the, it's still we're still in our in insurance crisis where a lot of people are not medically insured and can't be turned away from the emergency room. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, for your contact information if people out there are interested in talking to you or if they have a case that they want to run past you. I'm going to ask for your uh, contact. You can always contact me, too. Everyone here knows where you can reach me. You can look at my website. You can look at the WGN website, uh, and I'm at WGN at AskKarenConti.com. Elizabeth Caveney, tell your uh, listeners where they can contact you. Absolutely. They can call us anytime at 312 312- Seven six one five five eight five. We do free consultations, so we're happy to give our opinions um, based on over-the-call phone calls or in-person consultations. Also, our website is Caveny K A V E N Y Kroll K R O L L dot com. Um, we just have a couple minutes here. Uh, I wanted to maybe get started with the Belvedere tornado issue. Uh, I guess there was a theater called Apollo Theater. People were at the theater for some sort of concert, and the roof collapsed, is my understanding. Uh, and one person died, and 50 were injured, and, and maybe even increasing now uh, with those numbers. Let's just talk just briefly about 
as a personal injury lawyer, if you're contacted by somebody who is injured in that accident, um, what are the things that you do first and foremost uh, to get to the idea of who might have been at fault on this? Well, one of the things that we assess right away is the dollars and where there would be dollars. Because let's face it, a personal injury action can only be about money. We can't bring the person back. We can't undo the injury that occurred. But all we can do is seek monetary damages. So we look at, okay, where would the money be? Who would be who would have insurance for this or who would have financial responsibility, just not responsibility. So, for instance, Apollo Theater would have insurance, but chances are it would not cover tornado um, or acts of nature, um, of Mother Nature, as they say. Um, so it would not, Apollo Theater would not be an entity that you would be able to go forward against. Oh, that's interesting. You know what? Let's put a pin in that because I want to talk a little bit more about that because I would have thought that was the first deep pocket, but maybe not. Um, let's take a break and we're going to, on the other side of four o'clock, uh, we're going to, let's let's pick this up and talk about it. And then we're also going to talk about the biking issues that, that we discussed earlier. You're listening to the Karen Conti Show. We're here with Elizabeth Caveney. Stay tuned. We were talking, uh, actually, let me go to the, uh, the text lines. Pat the firefighter. Hi out there. He says, I'm an ER nurse. People need to question their doctors. There are so many bad doctors out there and bad nurses, for that matter. We're talking to Elizabeth Caveney, who is a personal injury attorney here at Caveney and Kroll in Chicago. Um, what do you have to say about that? Mm. It's, you know, disturbing to hear from an ER nurse that right. she feels that way about her fellow nurses and the ER doctors. I think um, it goes back to what we talked about, and that is don't be a bad patient. Um, maybe there's bad doctors, maybe there's bad nurses. Hopefully they're all doing the best they can. But as a patient, do the best that you can. So be an advocate for yourself. Go with your gut feeling. Be as honest and forthright when they ask you questions as you can. And, um, you know, hope for the best. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I hate to hear that too, but I think there's good and bad in every profession. Same with lawyers. We, you know, you yeah. know that you see the lawyers who have the billboards and the, and the, and the, their faces on phone books and, and, and benches, you know, and, and you, and you look at them and you're like, they've never tried a case. Like, cause they don't even really practice in Chicago. They just pay for the, and, you know, and that's why it's so important to get a good professional, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer. And, so uh, true. real, you know, it's really very, very, very important, especially for cases like you handle, which are life-changing cases. I mean, yeah. uh, we talked about uh, the little girl who lost all four of her limbs. I mean, that girl was re- is reliant on the settlement that you got her. You got her a massive settlement, and she's going to need every penny of that, I'm quite sure. Right. Um, we were talking about Belvedere, and the news was talking about it, too. Uh, where the theater's uh, roof collapsed. And you said that the theater probably doesn't have insurance for this. Yeah, you know, um, uh, just off the cuff, I would think that Apollo Theater probably has insurance, but they probably have exclusions to their insurance coverage, as we all do, for acts of acts of Mother Nature, which would be a tornado. So that might not be the pocket that you're looking for. Um, you, I think anybody who's investigating on behalf of Mr. Livingston's estate or any of the people that is injured is going to have to look at inspectors, 
um, contractors, people that have been in there to do repairs on the roof. They're going to have to do some digging to try and find some negligence beyond just owning the building. And uh, I don't think it's going to be an easy case to try and find some liability in that one. And, you know, I, I was looking and, and the Internet reminded me that 56 years ago, a tornado hit Belvedere and killed uh, 24 people and injured 500. And and I wonder if does that heighten the um, the you know, I guess what, you know, the foreseeability of something like this happening, meaning if you live in a place where it has had these kinds of things happen before, does that heighten your liability when it comes to securing roofs and maintaining buildings, etc.? I think it probably just heightens the exclusions for (laughs) tornadoes, truthfully. So the the insurance company is going to specifically take out that kind of liability, knowing that it happened before. Exactly, exactly. So, Don't I mean, you love our insurance company? <laughs> uh, no, not so much. <laughs> no, I, I have to say this, and you know, sorry if you work for an insurance company, but uh, you know, I defended insurance companies my first job as a lawyer. And you know, I just, the idea is when you have something terrible happen to you, whether it's a health issue or a car accident or your home gets broken into, those are the times you need help and you need your insurance. And, and I feel like sometimes they're at they're your enemy because all they want to do is say no all they want to do is exclude say no limit what your losses are and yeah there's fraud that goes on but i think for the most part when people make insurance claims they're pretty valid although i must say you know having insurance is so so important and paying attention to what your insurance is having uninsured motorist coverage underinsured motorist coverage. I mean, if you're like me, you just renew your policy every year. It's just easy. It's the same broker and you just renew it. But it really is a good thing to every now and then take a good look at what do I have coverage for if something would happen to me or now one of my driving children or <laughs> right. somebody that I loan my car to. And so, you know what? Let's say, let me ask you that question. What? Tell me about uninsured and uh, underinsured motorist coverage, and why do you need it? Yeah, so um, let's. More and more people are driving without insurance, and so if you're in an accident and it's the other person's fault, but they don't have insurance to cover your injuries, to cover your medical bills, to cover your lost wages, you can't recover from them. But if you have uninsured motorist coverage on your policy, you can collect uninsured motorist coverage. Or let's say they have the bare minimum, which in the state of Illinois is 25000 now. Which is nothing. Um, which is nothing. It's going to maybe cover your medical bills, but it's not going to cover your time off. It's not going to cover any real injuries that you might sustain. Your underinsured motorist coverage on your policy will kick in and give that. So, you know, I recommend to people to always, and uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage is very inexpensive. Add it to your policy. Get a $250,000 or $500,000 UMUIM um, addition to your policy. And also, talk to your broker about and it. homeowners, I mean, uh, uh, umbrella policies too are very important, which cover over and above your homeowners and your car insurance and 
really don't cost, what, three, $400 a year. Yeah. It yeah. gives you a lot of protection. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. It's lovely to see you. Um, Great to see you. Elizabeth Caveney has been our guest. She is uh, the managing partner with Caveney and Kroll here in Chicago. Check out her website. It's, uh, she's got a lot of interesting information on there. Can you give our listeners your contact information? Absolutely. The number is 312-761-5585. And the website is Caveney. K-A-V-E-N-Y, Kroll, K-R-O-L-L, dot com. Thank you for joining us. And when we come back, I'll be taking your legal questions here. 312-981-7200 on The Karen Conti Show on WGN.